Hey everybody, welcome back to the Phil Crossover Podcast. I'm your, I guess, ad host. We're like the in-between hosts. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> hey like, guys, it's Raul. Oh, dude, whatever it is, um, I don't know, but George and I were having a conversation about one of our upcoming podcasts, and it's going to be insane, dude. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a bit jealous that you're getting to do that one. I know. I was on yeah. the road trip, and I was like, you know what? <laughs> Let me hit my, my, my friend up and see if he wants to do a podcast. Yeah. I said, hey, man, would you, would you like to be on the Phil Cross Road? He was like, yeah. he was like, seriously? He's like, it would be an honor. I was like, yeah, that's awesome, man. That's so cool, dude. Oh, man. So that's a big one. Um, if you guys aren't following Army WTF Moments, Moments yeah, uh, their main like the creator of the guy is, uh, he's a friend of mine and he's a, a former SOP guy. And, uh, and I, we didn't like, no one really knew until he got out of the army. So that's when he said, uh, Hey, I'm, I'm running it. They had, they, I think they did a panel with the former Sergeant major of the army. Um, the guy everybody loved, he just got out. Oh, what's his freaking name? I forget his name, but, uh, re- really nice guys. Yeah, but yeah. I guess they were on a panel and discussing like social media and military. And I think that's what it was about. And he was on the panel talking about the site or his, uh, the page he runs. So, nice. but they do a lot of good stuff on there. Kind of, kind of like how we do, like we give back, you know, we do our posts and everything like that, but then we give back to like people who need it. He does a lot of stuff. Like if kids are sick and they need like a, like I think one person, like a newborn or like two or three needed one of those protective helmets. Yeah. So they did like a GoFundMe on the page and they raised the money. And then it's, he does really good work for the community and like the, you know, like helping out military people and stuff like that. So it's going to be a good podcast. I'm excited. I'm going to get down deep into like, yeah. That's like, that's like PSYOP, man. Well, like, that's what I was about to say, you know, dude. Like, that, that page is run so well mm-hmm. that it had to be somebody with some sort yeah. of familiarity yep. with that, like, mental design exactly. behind fucking like attracting attention yeah because it, it's done really well yeah because like yeah. I, mean, I mean obviously the target audience is you know military personnel and everything they hit on like every post it's like you can relate to it like the dumb like oh dude text that stole soldiers get i feel so bad for those guys oh, man oh yeah like incompetence is like it's so funny. It's just strange, <laughs> dude. Like I would walk into the chow hall and I'd look at some of the cooks and I'd be like, "Oh my god, oh, yeah, this person is alive and has survived this yeah, long." Exactly. And they're just standing there like, "Dude, <laughs> I know." Good night. Oh Jesus. So uh, this podcast is brought to you by one of my favorite gun companies, uh, Triarch. Systems, mm-hmm. TriarchSystems.com yep. uh, is their website. And uh, I'll just give you the code now. Drop Fieldcraft to save 5%. Um, look, man, I and we talk about it all the time, Every almost every podcast. Mm-hmm. It's it, without a doubt. And I've been running that, that 10.5 carbine now, um, pistol, the folder with the folding stock for almost a year now. Mm-hmm. We got those right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yep. uh Man, uh, never been more impressed with just being able to wipe a gun down because I don't like cleaning my mm-hmm. guns. I want to see where it fails. It doesn't collect carbon. You can just wipe it off. And I'm not advocating you guys don't clean your yeah. shit. <laughs> I uh, just don't. But, I, yeah, we just don't. And uh, it could be that we're shooting good ammo, whatever the case. Every, it, it's worked out really well. Great guns. Um, I got one of their 17s. Uh, also cool. I'm about to put a red dot on it. Mm. FYI. Damn, in case anybody nice. give a shit, but nobody does. Um, <laughs> I know. Uh, I'm, I'm going to. Um 
Uh, if you heard that noise in the background, it was our cat farting. Yeah. Um, we have a little cat. <laughs> um, used to be in the Air Force. Um, yeah. So if you guys are interested in getting a, a nice carbine or perhaps a pistol, even their 2011s, I think I'm on standby mm-hmm. for a 2011. Oh, nice. Dude, if that comes through, it's going to be a good time, uh, especially for competition shooting. Oh, yeah. Uh, I noticed that... Uh, I'm su- well. Su- I'm super jealous that you get to deck out your little um, Land Cruiser, but <laughs> so <laughs> but now you can see in the darkness. Yeah. So no, I got lucky, man. I got uh, I got I just got lucky with some hookups. I got uh, one a good r- real good friend. He just hooked me up with a couple of things that I needed to kind of set it off, and then now it's just kind of just piecing it here and there. Just want to get. I do have to get some new suspension stuff done to yeah. it underneath. It's because it's old. Right. I got it all like uh, I got it inspected. And they're like, let's just get this done and this done before I get any more cool things like on bigger it. bigger things. Yeah, so. Well, I had my, I just had my alignment done, and the, the dudes were checking out my brakes. I got brand new brakes on that thing. And the guy's like, hey, man, your suspension's good to go uh, if you want to do anything to it. And then mm. I was like, oh, all right. I'll, yeah. I'll take it. I'm going to start jacking up that Forerunner. Hell, yeah. Uh, should be, be cool, good. though. But the, the, the new lights that you're running and that the company's running. Oh, yeah. Uh, we are a sponsored by KC Highlights. That's right. They're, uh, they're representing... I mean the best in off-road lighting. They're repres- I mean they're uh, celebrating their fiftieth year in business, which not a lot of companies can say they've been around for fifty years, especially in this kind of industry. It's a hard industry, I think. Yeah. But uh, Casey Highlights have been always putting together quality quality work. The and plus the people that work there are amazing. Uh, shout out to Ali. Shout out to. Um, Oh my God, I'm blanking on names. I'm horrible at names. <laughs> uh, Taylor up there in, uh, in, in, in Williamson's, they helped us out a lot with just like getting stuff together. And they've run a, last year we did a summer camp with them with Casey Highlights, 511, and mm. some other you know companies. And we came out and we was teaching Stop the Bleed. And I'll tell you what, working with that company the past year has been amazing. But we do have a, a coupon code for them. It's Fieldcraft. All one word, Fieldcraft, and you save 10% on your purchase. So check out CaseyHighlights.com and uh, get some lights for your rig. I mean, it's they're fun, too. I mean, I love being out in the woods and turning my spotlights on, and it lights up like it's like the like yeah. brightest day. It's know? like, hey, aliens, look at yeah. me from <laughs> fucking space. <laughs> it's like, down here, come get me. Come get me. I'm camping, but come get me. Uh, did you? So on that video that... Uh, that, that Austin filmed for for the company with the light tactics. Did we use uh, KC for that? Yeah, we were, uh, well, Mike's truck has all those KC highlights. He has the light bar, the small light bar, the rock lights, the uh, the um, the little pod lights. Yeah, yeah. So he's all decked out with all the lights, and I think, yeah, him and uh, Austin did yeah. like a, a video on that. So there's, I don't know if it's, there's no, it got released, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It's yeah. On, yeah, yeah, it's on so, our YouTube channel. Yeah, but check them out, kchighlights.com, use code FIELDCRAFT. Who else? Who else do we got? So we got uh, a very special sponsorship. Aww. Why'd you and change your voice? It's I don't know. Like I just seductive. I just love this company. They've been real good to us <laughs> the past year. Uh, Killcliff. If you guys don't know about Killcliff right now, you're you're behind. You're you're, you're way behind the power curve. Uh, check them out at killcliff.com. They have a wide variety of energy drinks. They got anything from Ignite, which is kind of like the pre-workout. You get that nice little boost of caffeine. Then you got your Endure. Is kind of, you drink that during your workout. And then at the end, you have a recovery drink. They have two types. They have just a regular recovery. And then they have the CBD recovery, which is a big fan favorite of us in uh, at Philcraft Survival. Because we're all old, broken uh, veterans, we need that little like uh, pain relief through the CBD. So 
But I do call that uh, when you do work out and you drink all three, call it the Kill Cliff Challenge, man. Oh, shit. Why, why, why not? Let's do it. Kill Cliff, if you're listening, Kill Cliff Challenge, let's market that. Give me a call. Yeah, you know what? They can get saran wrap and like wrap the three, and you can buy it as like a bundle. Yeah. And that's your, that's your, it. That's your challenge bundle. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you just um, like, like. And then you're stuck with all three. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But another good thing about Kill Cliff is that they, you know, they're part of the, the Navy SEAL Foundation, which gives back to service, man, service members, their families and things like that so any any company that gives back to service members we support and we're just happy to be on the uh the kill cliff team and um you know thanks for the support but uh we do have a coupon code for them check it out it's survival one zero survival 10 saves you 10 percent off every purchase on killcliff.com so uh check them out give them a you know give them a try they taste great and they're not full of all those chemicals that you get at the uh at the gas station uh energy drinks with the chemicals from drinking yeah. tea overseas. Yeah, you exactly. You didn't even know where that shit came from. Dude, it was yeah. so delicious, though. Uh, so much sugar. Um, so on the range uh, this past weekend with, uh, what did we have? Man, we had like 60 students overall. Yeah, 60 plus. It was a really great, great weekend. And on top of seeing just a, a ton of different rifles, it was awesome to see BCM being represented. Mm-hmm. So Dan the Hitman... Um, Mora, he was carrying one of uh, one of the BCMs he was shooting at, and uh, I think that at least half the class was BCMs. It was a BCM or Trier. They were there just hanging out, like nice. representing heavily. Nice. Uh, and no issues, man. Usually yeah. guns do weird things on range days. And, and uh, plus it was every, hot out there, too. It was hot, man. And dusty. Lots mm-hmm. of lots of dirt and grit. Uh, definitely not crushed coral, but it was just dusty. I know. Um, I saw one of the pictures, and I was like, "This looks like they were online, like sending an ambush in. Like all the dust and <laughs> all the, the browns yeah. are going down. <laughs> it, was it was great." <laughs> but uh, Mike, Mike, uh, Mike G from the company. He's uh, a BCM gunfighter, mm-hmm. um, and I know he always talks about it. How, how oh, awesome yeah. of a company they are. Oh uh, yeah, how shout much out they do for him. Yeah, to Paul Buffoni, John Chang helps us out with those. Yeah, uh, right. BCM. I mean, they're American made, good company. They support. They support us and what we're doing, and um, I don't know. It's just a solid-built rifle, man. They're, they're yeah. good. I mean, they're just uh, – quality is their number one thing, so uh, you're not going to go wrong if you buy a BCM. Yeah. What's the rumor? Is the rumor that we're going to be carrying those? Is that right? Oh, I don't know. I think oh, so. There's a weird rumor. Um, we'll, we'll leave that to Mike to, to okay. disclose. Uh Another one of our, our awesome sponsors that are local here to Arizona is Tier Tactical. These dudes mm-hmm. make awesomely well – crafted um in-house stitched and um quality controlled like to the point where somebody initials every piece of equipment that gets touched um super cool we're running their plate carriers their um pico what are those dsx yeah right with the um what are those plates those are the uh they're they're it doesn't. They don't feel like level fours, dude, because they're so light. Oh my goodness, the, they, they are, are so light. I feel compared. like it's like a like an insert, like a fake insert. Yeah. That's how like light they are. Well, that's the difference with the ceramic but versus the steel, dude. It's just such a cool, cool concept. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited that we have that. Um, but they they make great gear, um, great bags, uh, just all around good stitching, mm-hmm. good product. And uh, they stand by their materials. And they got so, a great team down there, too. Yeah. You guys can just, like, hop on or pop in and check out the warehouse and mm-hmm. just, like, meet them. So if you guys are ever in, uh, in the Phoenix area, go check them out. Uh, we do have a code for them, and it's going to save you 15% off of 
your overall purchase, which is a, actually a really great yeah, deal. Especially if you're looking for new range gear, yeah. range kit, I mean, Just belts and everything. replacement stuff for gifts for, yep. for somebody. Uh, man, you show up with a gift like that Hell to yeah. a loved one, they're like, damn, what's up? Like you care about me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, they don't, you don't think they care about you until you get a gift like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, drop code FIELDCRAFT. That's one word, FIELDCRAFT. And so 15%. Yeah, you'll save the 15. That's it. That's all we got. got. We're ready to roll. Who, right. who, who's the guest? So, man, so a, a friend of mine, AJ Zito from Practical Performance, yet another local, which all pay, plays into all these locals being mm -hmm. here, right? It's pretty rad. Um, AJ Zito, we met a while ago doing some training, and we've been friends ever since. We've worked together, we've trained together, and uh, yeah, we were able to discuss a lot of how we met and what we've been doing and kind of what we're all doing now. Uh, he, again, is a local gunsmith, uh, firearms instructor, competitive shooter, all that cool stuff, and then, uh, yeah, tune in. Check it out. Hey, folks, welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Raul, and today I have a good friend, AJ Zito. Uh, I met AJ somewhere between 2009-2010, uh, just an overall great shooter, instructor, gunsmith, um, fighter. That's kind of how we met. We'll get, I'll let him tell that story later. Uh, it's a great story. And uh, yeah, welcome to the show, AJ. Thanks, man. Good to be here. Awesome, man. So how's, how are things going with you? Good, good. No complaints, really. Uh, you know, doing a kind of a different thing than when we first met, so. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, the paths that have woven in the years that we've known each other, right? It's I know. crazy. It's nuts, man. So let's let's start from the beginning so people can kind of get to know you a little bit better and understand kind of where all of this awesome shit developed and kind of like what brought you to today because i mean your life is guns right like you do yeah. gunsmithing you fix things you break things i mean you see things <laughs> forward and back and then uh you also teach gunsmithing you, you teach shooting all this stuff and it's all aspects of shooting it's not just uh defensive stuff it's also competitive it's just about everything right so yeah. let's let's start from the beginning man and see how <laughs> how the early days got us all the way up here i know right yeah uh, yeah so i grew up uh Outside Chicago, in, nice. in the burbs, right? Yeah, right. I love that place. <laughs> I don't. Oh, no. <laughs> but you live—you live in a great area. I remember coming to visit yeah. you, and it was just beautiful. Obviously, coming from the eyes of a city kid, where it's concrete, sure. dude. You lived in a great place. <laughs> yeah. No, it was—it was good. Um, it was just—it wasn't my jam, right? Mm. So now, living where I live now in Prescott, it's like this is my jam. Nice. Living in the mountains, everything's <laughs> green. But yeah, growing up, uh, growing up out there. First off, it's I mean, it's Illinois, man. Guns, like unless you are hunting, yeah, which is like twice a year, you're, <laughs> you're not doing anything with guns at the time. Now I think it's a little different story, but um, it did seem to pick up, right? There's a lot more like competitive yeah. shooting and dudes owning guns. Um, yeah. There's even fucking concealed carry permits in Chicago. Yeah, now, dude. So. <laughs> yep, yep. That was right when I was leaving. That kicked off. Mm. Would so. it have kept you there? If, uh, so I was one of the first oh, Illinois yeah. instructors oh, cool. for CCW. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the and, whole state police stuff. and Oh, man, that was yeah. a nightmare, wasn't it? It's such a nightmare. <laughs> Even on the instructor end, I was like, guys, it's not this hard. We don't need it to be this hard. Yeah. But even yeah. internally, right, with instructors, it became like this complicated oh, yeah. thing. And for people that don't know, um, 
In Illinois, you need a FOID card initially, right? To do ammo purchases, gun purchases. It's kind of like Illinois' background check almost. Right. Yeah. So you need to get that before you need all the other stuff. So <laughs> in case people don't know about <laughs> Illinois. Right. Uh, so growing up in Chicago, and, yeah. or right outside and doing your thing there, uh, what, what was that like? Was it fast paced, slow paced? Yeah. So, I mean, I would call it slow paced. Um, mm-hmm. nothing, nothing really crazy. I think the, you know, where I grew up was basically where the city completely ends and you get into rural, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. rural Illinois kind of stuff. So you had kind of this mix of, of city and rural life at the same time. And then, uh, you know, my parents had a farm uh, out there. So getting the shotgun out and throwing some clay pigeons and and starting to shoot them. And that's really, I mean, I kind of started shooting, uh, when I was in high school, uh, because, uh, there was a, a skeet range or trap range out there and I needed a job. So So the school had it. No, the school didn't have it. Um, Yeah. yeah. But, uh, just out, out there, it was like the only, like legit shooting range that I even knew about in the state of <laughs> Illinois. It was a time. trap range. Yeah. And it was a trap range. Right. So, uh, got a, got a job there and just worked there. And really the only reason I, I wanted to work there was so I could shoot on my brakes and, mm, and that was it. And that's clever. what I did. But I mean, this is not that it was that long ago, but you could, you know, a 16 year old kid could throw a shotgun in the back of his car and go to work and yeah, it wouldn't and, be an issue. Right? And it wasn't an issue. Yeah. So, I remember those stories where, uh, and, and Kevin has mentioned it too, and other guys have mentioned it, where you can rack your fucking shotgun in the window of your pickup right. and nobody cared. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, now it's a little different. Um, some rural places are still like that, which is cool to see. But, yeah. yeah. So high school, right? And this job you have during high school right. uh, it was military school, right? So yeah. military high school and college? Military high school and college. Damn. Yeah. Tell me more yeah. about that, dude. That's crazy. So, uh, so my whole family has been military. Like, mm literally everyone. Damn. <laughs> so my my grandfather was uh in World War II on my mother's side, my grandfather on my dad's side was World War 1. Uh my dad was in the military, my mom, my grandma, everyone worked for the Department of the Army Jeez. as civilians. They're yeah, so like literally everything. So it's like since so at what age were you already being exposed to that? Oh, I mean, like right away. Yeah. <laughs> you like, like pop out and yeah, you and I'm go. like, I'm joining the military. Yep. So that was really, that was really it. Like, and honestly, at that point in my life, I had totally just resigned the fact that, okay, I'm going to join the military uh, and I'm going to be a lifer and that's the way it's going to be. Mm. And then eventually I'll, I'll get out and yeah. I'll do something else when that happens. <laughs> I don't know what. Funny uh, how, how that plays out, right? And yeah. Then nobody lifers. <laughs> that, uh, is, that is not how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's stay on track. Let's go back. Yeah. Uh, so everyone's part of, has been part of or worked for right. uh, the military. Uh, what's your earliest story you remember from them? Like grandpa or dad, uh, earliest like military story that really like struck and stuck with you? Oh, man. There's got to be a bunch, right? Uh, yeah. Ton- tons. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> you know, drop I, some great ones on us. Let's so hear it. I just remember one of the big ones I remember um, really doesn't have anything to, I, it doesn't have anything to do with like combat or jumping out of planes or doing anything cool. But I remember uh, my mother telling me about my grandfather getting his commission, a battlefield commission on uh, Omaha Beach, 
like Damn. yeah right after the invasion and i'm like Damn, that's whoa cool. and yeah. i didn't even know what a commission was at the time i'm like yeah. i don't know what this is but this but is amazing cool. <laughs> right yeah. so and this is pre-band of brothers pre you know yeah. uh yeah uh, whatchamacall what was that saving private ryan mm -hmm. and everything so i'm like whoa so that and then i remember my uncle uh always telling me my uncle was a, a forward observer um fso during vietnam and he Ooh, was telling shit. me yeah he was telling me about calibrating the guns and in in the middle of you know yeah their their fobs at the time right Man. i'm like whoa and he would tell me about how they'd be watching movies and all firefights stopped during movies because the Viet Cong were watching the movies too. And then immediately movies over and it's boom back at yeah, it. Yeah. It's like, okay, prep the fire mission. It's coming. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but just stuff like that. That's awesome. And not stuff. everything needs to be combat yeah. related to be like awesome. Right. Because hearing the stories that, that are more like personal and more like interactive, like day to day stuff versus all the like, Oh, this dude shot in the face and that dude blew right. up like this. Like, we get it, and we get enough of that with, like, Hollywood. But, like, those little stories, man, like the Battlefield Commission, like, right. that gave me chills, man. <laughs> I've never heard that story before. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. It's wild. Um, those are the stories that actually matter, I think, the most because it paints the true picture of what day-to-day -day life is in the military instead of all the gun ho shit that everybody thinks. Right. And that's, like, law enforcement. It's the most minute thing you do on the job or in the military and like all the cool shit that's yeah. like you sit around for four years and have a 15 minute gunfight <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh cool so families telling you all yeah. these cool stories growing up with it uh, military school mm -hmm. and uh so how did military school influence you as far as shooting goes i know it's influencing you military wise sure. but like shooting early especially like high school still yeah, so uh, I was one of the few high schools, because we're a military high school, right, that still had, like, a rifle team and still, awesome. like, as a requirement, we had to shoot once a year. Oh. And, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It was, it was, was it an outdoor range for that? No, we had an indoor Dude. range in the basement of our school, like a legit indoor range. Yeah. It was sweet for small bore. That's why I um, mentioned that, because the, the high school I went to on the north side of Chicago, mm -hmm. in the basement, they still had rifle bays. Yep. And yep. I was like, what is this? And they're like, yeah, we used to have a shooting team. I was like, in Chicago? They're like, <laughs> yeah, in like the 60s. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, well, we still had it, and we still used it. Awesome. Um, yeah, dude. So we would, we would have to shoot every year, and I remember going up for my... We had to qualify, right? And it wasn't like a real qualification. It was like... Hopefully you know enough to put a group <laughs> on a piece of paper at like 15 yards with a small bore rifle. Yeah. And it had to be like a one inch group or something. And I totally couldn't qualify at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I convinced my dad like, hey, uh, can we get like a 22 and mm. so I can practice this? Yeah. And we did. And I practiced and, you know, again, it like wasn't anything. I didn't understand anything about shooting at that time. But that totally like kind of kick-started the whole thing where I was like man like I gotta learn about this because I gotta there's way more instead of just putting the bumpy things out there and then just <laughs> yanking on this lever thing yeah, yeah. like I feel like I'm not doing this right so but I didn't know literally anything I didn't know where to get information and honestly like the only shooting stuff I had really seen was trap kind of shooting yeah. right uh this small bore kind of shooting and uh you know what was still i think at the time uh espn was the ones doing like competitive shooting mm. with jim scouting and stuff yeah. like that and i was like 
I don't know what's happening here, but it's amazing. <laughs> These dudes are running around and shooting stuff. And I think Jerry Barnhart was still around, Jeez. like competing and stuff. So, um, but yeah, that kind of that kind of picked it up. And I mean, I had some really good individuals in high school. That's what um, I was going to ask. Were like the shooting instructors that you were qualifying uh, during those times were they influential as well? Were they, yeah. Did they help? Uh, they helped as far as like. <laughs> I mean, anyone that's been learned to shoot in the regular army, mm-hmm. you know, like there, there might be some limitations to the understanding oh, of, yeah. of shooting. Yeah, we'll get to right? that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so they did, you know, the classic stuff. Here's the, here's the seven fundamentals of shooting, and here's how we break it down. But there was nothing, no talk of trigger presses and stuff yeah. like that. But the, the leadership influence of them was huge for me. Oh. I, I had this Sergeant Major... Sergeant Major uh, Gissel, and this dude, like, totally shaped my life. Mm. He was a, just a hard, hard dude. <laughs> and he was hard on me. He was hard on everyone. Uh, but I had tons of respect for that dude. And uh, definitely, definitely had a huge influence. Him and I had this one uh, former Special Forces Major, uh, Major Emerson, that that was there as well. And the two of them combined really, like, were just a good influence. Yeah, just a huge influence on my life. So, so high school stuff, getting through those quals. Dad mm-hmm. gets you a gun for it, right? Because yep. you're like, I'm gonna do this. Uh, no more just bumpy shit floating out there, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, the influence with TV and how how those competitive shooters did that, uh, and then segueing into college. Did you continue to shoot yeah. through that gap, or did you take a break during college, or did that yeah, continue? Yeah, so. Uh, I would say it continued and it kind of grew, right? So mm-hmm. I go to my first year of college. I went to... Uh, what school did you go to, by the way? Yeah, Norwich University. Right so it's the military college of Vermont. Oh. Oldest military, private military school in the country. That's pretty badass, right? Yeah. I mean, it's literally, you know, you hear about ROTC and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was invented at my oh, college. Damn. So with stolen funds, funds from West Point, which is pretty <laughs> sweet. But um, yeah, so I go there and... I think it was between my freshman and sophomore year. Like I, I met a dude there. We were, we were there our first year together. He's like, oh, I'm totally into this tactical shooting stuff. I'm like, mm. I don't know anything about it. I want to get in on this. And mm. One of my buddies like showed me a Wilson Combat 1911 <laughs> that like his dad owned. Yeah. He's like, here's a picture of it. And I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And this dude convinces me to sign up for this uh, tactical shooting course, right? Five-day tack shooting something that's a that's a lot of time uh, for courses right like yeah. five days yeah uh, but in at the time i yeah. think this was like 2002 2003 that was kind of the standard was man. it okay yeah because yeah. you really didn't not that the the traveling instructor didn't exist mm-hmm. but it wasn't nearly as prominent as yeah. it is now and they were were they in in those times those five day classes were they taking like a newer shooter and then building them through the five days or did they expect the shooter to come in with some sort of uh, experience? So it was definitely more oriented towards taking a shooter that really didn't know anything mm. and getting them into at least a competent state like by some the sort end of the comfort class. level. Yeah, yeah. But again, you know, I learned so much in that class. Number one, that I did not know how to shoot at all. (laughs) (laughs) Funny we learned that, right, at those places. Right. Um, But, yeah, I mean, honestly, I learned a ton there. 
Well, t- t- take us through that. Take us through yeah. day one. How was day one? Uh, do we know the instructor? Is the instructor still around? Um, he's, or facility? The facility's still around, so it's uh, the site. Oh, uh, hell yeah. 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 So, uh, I mean, they were Blackwater North for a little while, and then they went back to the yeah. site. And the it was hollow. They did it. Just right. About every, hollow. Yeah, they changed names a few times. Yeah. yeah. We've but, all been there. It's not a bad place. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it was... A uh, guy named Herschel Davies, uh, former uh, senior chief, I think, mm. uh, from from the SEAL teams, used to own it. I don't know if he still does or not, but he was there. But he, I think he stopped in to, like, see it, did nothing. The guy that instructed it was, like, an Aurora PD cop, uh, okay. um, right? And uh, <laughs> the instruction maybe was lacking a mm. bit from what we would consider today, like, a good course. But I still learned a lot because... I didn't know anything, yeah. so it was like mind blown from day <laughs> one, right? Uh, I did learn one thing that really stood out to me about that course, and I can clearly remember this dude. Uh, we were shooting a qual, and someone asked, hey, man, are you going to shoot the qual? Asking the instructor, he's like, no, dude, never mm. demo, because then you'll lose face in front of your students if you do something wrong. Oh, and that was such an influence on me. I was like, "That is, yeah. are you telling me you can't do the things we're, you're yeah. asking me to do?" And and that's like across the board leadership, right? Not right? even just like <laughs> this moment. Like you've you've had the family, you've had the uh, the mentors like already that you've met going up until this point, and you were like, "What? Yep. Do as I say, not as I do." Yep, exactly. <laughs> so that was like day one, right? And I they let me know right away, like I could not shoot. Like everything was low left the whole time. It didn't matter. I mean, I was shooting belt line at like seven yards kind mm. of stuff. And uh, dude couldn't fix me, right? Mm. Uh, all the way up to like day two, three, yeah. dude couldn't fix me. And it wasn't until these two guys that I think they're still around, uh, but two local shooters from Chicago, one of them was a Chicago PD guy, uh, they moved up into, we lived in bunk houses, right? Mm-hmm. And they taught me about dry fire. Oh. And one of my favorite memories, right? And they're like, let me tell you about dry fire. Okay, now you're going to dry fire this draw to one round, right? Like the next half hour. And they put on Sex in the City, right? <laughs> and I literally just did thousands of dry fire draws. The next day... We go out, we shoot the qual, and I hit expert immediately. Damn. And I was like, what? Now, granted, I look at the qual today. I still have it somewhere. It is not a hard qual. (laughs) This is not at all a hard qual. But It was hard then. It was really hard then. Yeah, Yeah, man. So that that was huge. And that was honestly the day, like, I really understood, oh, man, like, dry fire? That's like a huge thing. Yeah. I fixed my issue with zero rounds. Yeah. So. Damn. Well, that and dude, and I think people miss this and you teach a lot of classes Yeah, and I'm lucky to be teaching as well. And what's funny in that story, what I, what I also picked up was the shit you learn when you're not there to learn from the main influencer, right? The main yep. person teaching, uh, like those dudes pulling you aside, dude, they game change. They changed the game for you and they didn't have to one, right? right. Which is cool about the community that, that gets built within. Um, and it wasn't even part of the class. Right. Right. Exactly. But then you excelled in the class because of it. Like that shit's cool. That's what I really like about training and the people you meet. Like even this last weekend with Tim, we, I met a bunch of people that either I had run into once or twice, 
Um, and then it was just like, oh, cool, I remember you, I remember you, but it's been years, right? Right. But uh, those little, oh, man, those little things, dude. I know. So day three. Yeah, so day three, uh, day three, day four, I go, I smoke this qual, right? And I, I don't know how I did it. <laughs> I'm just like, what? And you're like, yeah, boy. Exactly, right? And they're like, oh, my God, you're the youngest dude to ever qualify expert on this. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. And I, was, I think I was like 19 at the yeah. time. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Uh, and then it was just like I just stood on that the rest of the class, got to day five, shot the qual, same thing, mm. um, all good. And at that point, I obviously thought I knew about shooting Compared to what I know today, like this, literally, <laughs> the literal tip of the iceberg. I could get bullets in the gun, and I could get the slide to go forward, and I could hit what I was shooting at out to like 25 yards. Mm -hmm. and, and that was the limit of my capabilities, right? <laughs> yeah. I probably had like a six-second draw or something, but yeah. So, and then when I got done with that, unfortunately, with college and everything else going on, that was kind of the end of my shooting um for college we started a practical shooting team mm -hmm. at our school which uh for political reasons got kind of killed really mm -hmm. fast but was there something going on in the media at the time or what 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 made it get i'll, shut down? I'll give you a direct quote from yeah. a certain individual at the college and they're mm -hmm. like listen man we don't want another columbine oh and i was like yeah bro are you serious right now you're at the country's oldest private military college. Our guns at the time were literally stored at the police department. Oh. Yeah. And like that was our deal with the cops. It's yeah. a small department. Like, hey, man, uh, you know, we're, we're going to give you like ammo and stuff if we can just store our stuff here. Cool. And we just had to sign in, sign out and everything. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that was kind of the end of the program. Um, but we, we got to, I'll tell you, at the time I got invited to uh, a training facility called Valhalla mm -hmm. that was in Colorado at the time. I remember you there. telling me these stories. Yeah. yeah. Get into it, dude, because I love these stories. I love when you were telling me these when we had first met back, yeah. back in 09. And uh, yeah, this, let's do it. I want to hear it again. Man. Okay. So Valhalla. Yeah. So uh, if you know anything about Valhalla, it, it was like the most awesome training facility at the time. And it was basically a five-star resort that was totally based on shooting so it was super cool it was built with shooting in mind um and we got invited me and i think like six other dudes got invited to go out there and spend a week shooting on like our spring break so we did it was cool uh i i won't say i learned a ton while i was out there but i learned some things and probably some things that later on became uh really bad for my shooting honestly oh <laughs> yeah yeah so things that later on in life i learned i really had to correct when i started getting into performance shooting mm. but it was a great time man i was there with yeah. good buddies hanging out in the middle of colorado in the mountains uh and but, it's so early right you're still just oh, still yeah. picking things up it's not like it's uh gonna hinder anything uh currently at that time right. right yeah right i mean it was a step forward for what i from what i knew at that time gotcha so for sure how long how long were the training events there uh, how long would you go there how long would you be there for the training i mean we were there we stayed on site we were there five days straight Damn. up man i mean we started 
we probably started at uh, nine in the morning every morning and went until five or six o'clock at night. It's a long day. And it was a mix of like, uh, they were shooting. We did, they had a full shoot house, like a legit house mm. that they built in the complex that was just 360 shooting in there. So we ran house drills, uh, a bunch of, we did force on force. Um, we did a lot of defensive tactics kind of stuff. And at the time, that was pretty innovative, right? Oh, yeah. To have a 360-degree shoot house uh, open pu- open to the public yeah. kind of deal? Yeah, yeah, for sure, dude. It was it was kind of like not heard of. Yeah. There were, there, these were things that weren't happening in the shooting community. And the thing about it was it was like someone came in and they built a house and they furnished a house. They huh. didn't just like okay, we're going to pretend this is a wall and we're going to pretend this is, you know, a bed. No, there was a bed. There was a real nightstand from like Ikea. There was real, real plastered up walls. Everything was real. Damn. So, um, yeah, it was a cool experience, man. Super cool experience. How much time did you spend at that place? Like how many times did you come back? None. Oh, that that was just that one time. one, One of the downfalls of Valhalla, as awesome as a facility. It sounds awesome. It was. Yeah, it was amazing, right? Uh, it never lived up to its potential, like trying mm. to get the, the really it was tailored for uber wealthy dudes that want to shoot oh. and they just yeah. never got it there. And uh, I think they shut it down like a year after yeah. we had left or something like that. And there was, there was a lot of internal stuff going on there, right? Yeah. yeah and that's kind of why it just flowed out. Um, yeah. So was that one of the last uh, places you trained at before everything picked up military wise? Yeah, absolutely. That was... I think I was there uh, in between my, I think it was my junior year I was there. And so what was your degree uh, before leaving that to join the military? Uh, criminal justice. Okay, right on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because um, it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> what options did you have at, at that school? As far as? Degrees go. Oh, yeah. Everything? Basically everything. So oh. they were they're really known for criminal justice. Mm. Uh, FBI recruits out of there, all, oh. all sorts of law enforcement recruits directly out of there. Um, so it was, I mean, there's a great psychology program. They were really known for their engineering program because mm. um, they were formed as an engineering school. Oh. So, and I wasn't about to do that. So <laughs> <laughs> I started off like, oh, I really want to do psychology. And I wish I had stayed with it now. But uh, immediately I was like, oh, uh, no. Right. criminal justice. Hmm. So that's what I did. And then, you know, I had some cool opportunities there. I, I was in this mountain warfare unit, essentially. I got to go to mountain warfare school, both phases and get my Rams head there. Before so, military stuff, bef- right? Yeah. During yeah, school. Yeah. During school. Oh, so when I, when I got in, uh, I had already been to mountain warfare and, mm. and, you know, had everything with that. So, which kind of messed me up because I really <laughs> thought like, okay, they're going to send me to like, 10th Mountain Division, because obviously I've been to Mountain Warfare School, and then I'm going to go directly to Afghanistan, and because that makes the most sense. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, none of that happened. (laughs) (laughs) So So you get your degree, and uh, did you take a break before going into the military, or did you go straight in? No, I went straight in. As as an officer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. As a a second lieutenant, I went (laughs) literally straight to, I think I had a week maybe two weeks uh, in between when I commissioned and when I had to be at Fort Sill. Mm. Um, they, they were doing this this program, which was like another assessment. So anyone that knows anything about ROTC, B 
between your junior and senior years, you have to go be assessed at Fort Lewis, Washington. Mm -hmm. And at the time it was like 33 days or something. And it's all, it's 33 days of tests. And then after I commissioned, they sent us to SIL to do another six weeks of tests. Which was similar to the... Which was literally the same thing. (laughs) And I was like, so you're assessing us after we've been assessed to do the job that you can't make us not do anymore. (laughs) I don't understand what this course is for. (laughs) So anyways, they tried that out. That program was cut the next Mm. year immediately because it was a failure. Um, And then I spent like seven months at Fort Sill. Uh, I went to artillery. I was an artillery officer. So how did, how did that prep you, uh, to then lead your guys? Like, was it enough training? Was it enough prep work? Uh, the little things that led up to then you going to a platoon and being a part of that? As far as SIL or? Yeah. Like the, the first yeah. few months, weeks, or did you, was it like hands-on once you got to the platoon, you learned shit? Honestly, dude, I learned way more about leadership and leading in college at Norwich okay. than, than I did ever in the military, gotcha. which was honestly one of the reasons I left the military too. Yeah. So there's a, there's a trend with a lot of the people we have on the podcast yeah. and we all have this like bad leadership experience yeah. and either you shift fire and do something else or you just leave altogether. But, uh, yep. yeah, I feel you. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was rough. Um, and it was like, especially having come from, so I'll give you an example. I had really good leadership in high school, amazing leadership in college. I used, one of our uh, mentors in the mountain warfare stuff, uh, mountain cold weather company was uh, this guy, Joel McQuinney. He was a master sergeant SF 10th group master sergeant legend over there. Um, and this dude is like the epitome of leadership. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I was worked with him super close for three years and he left when I left kind of stuff. And like I expected with all the, the NCOs and officers that I had met in my life, I expected that when I got to active duty and that did not happen. Mm. <laughs> so, so they set a standard that you didn't even see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Rough. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> well, you can see the look on your face. And I, I know that I know that look, man. Just looking back and being like, oh man. Yeah. Um cool. So butter bar, right? Yeah. What are yeah. you doing uh right? What are you doing then? As soon as you, you leave Sill, right? And then you're mm-hmm. you're going, where did you end up going? Yeah, so I went uh right after Sill. Um I went straight to Fort Stewart, Georgia. Third ID. <laughs> Third ID, man. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And oh, man. uh uh, again, just like FA, third ID was like my last choice. Yeah. That's where I ended up. Needs of the Army stuff. Yep. Like on the officer side, we don't pick our job. We don't pick our duty station. We just kind of wish for it, mm. and you get what you get. And so I ended up at third ID, and they were already we were already spinning up for a deployment cycle. Oh, so uh, for, for Le Surge. Yeah. So uh, it was immediately the day I got there. My unit was in the field and, uh, you know, you get your 14 days where you're supposed to in process and, and find a place to live and do all this other stuff. And I was in the field the day after I got my CIF issue, I had been at Mm. Stewart for two days and they're like, Hey, you need to go to the field. And I was like, okay, hurry up and catch up. Exactly. Uh So I did, I went to the field. I spent like the next week in the field. Uh, didn't have a place to live yet. Didn't have anything. All I had was literally like my CIF issue. Yeah. 
Uh, well, that's that's all you need to live, right? Uh, if right. you've been in, <laughs> once you get issued that, that's your shit. That's what you can live <laughs> exactly. in, live in and out of. Yep. So uh, uh, yeah, so I spent the next like the next week or so in the field with with them, uh, just kind of learning what it was to be in an artillery unit at the time. And when I got back, they're like, "Okay, now take this six hour safety fire direction test." Mm. And I was like, uh, "Okay." <laughs> So I took that, and once you get blessed off on that, you know, you get this whole in-processing. You got to go to 400 classes to get certified in mm-hmm. 400 things, and then it was straight to my platoon. So and I take that back. So I was uh, a fire direction officer first. I didn't have a platoon at first. Okay. Uh, I didn't get my platoon until I got to Iraq, like six months later. Were they already there? No, no, no. You guys nope. all went together. Yeah, we okay. all went together. Yeah. So we did our we that. did our whole train up together. And I will say that. So they gave me a platoon when we were doing our train up because we already knew we weren't going to be artillery when we got to Iraq. Oh, yeah. They straight up told me like, listen, you're going to get there and you're going to transition to a motorized infantry unit. And we're and like, patrol your ass off. Exactly. <laughs> and we're like, uh, okay, <laughs> sounds good. Let's do this. Right. So. Uh, so I got my platoon, which was really just mixed up of my fire direction center and uh, half of one of the other platoons, the gun gun line platoons, and that's what we did. <laughs> Damn. So, so what years were that? What what years were your deployments? Uh oh man, uh two thousand seven we deployed. Uh, yeah, I think here. May two thousand seven, yeah. and then we came back in August of two thousand eight. Nice. I think. I think we touched down October 07 okay. and then came back. I came back um, January 09. Oh, okay. So I did the 15. Yeah. yeah. Which was fucking awesome, dude. Yeah. No, I didn't want to leave. <laughs> well, see, and that's a thing, right? So I was, like, I loved being there, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the best portion of my military career. Yeah. Um, I, I tried, so I tried dropping my commission while I was there, mm-hmm. and that didn't go over well. Um at all and then <laughs> what does that entail like dropping a commission for uh, people that don't know uh so basically it's just me saying i no longer want to be a commissioned officer in the army i would much rather be enlisted mm. in the army that's not ever seen as a a good thing no and my battalion commander was less than <sighs> less than happy about it at yeah. the time he and i i already had issues mm-hmm. so uh it, it went poorly and it didn't go any farther than where it ended with him telling me, <laughs> yeah, you know, you're, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so I tried that. Then uh, I think it was first cav. We replaced first cav, and then because it was the fifteenth, the surge, right? Yeah. And then first cav ended up replacing us. Mm. So I tried to stay on with with them. Uh, I tried to go on with either them who were just starting to replace us, or hundred first was already there. And I tried going over to 101st and just being like, hey, can we just, because I'm like, my time in this unit's almost done anyways. Can I just go over there and finish off with yeah, these guys? With and uh, yeah, that didn't Were you happen. a first lieutenant by then? Nope. Oh, you were still? Nope. Oh. Yeah. Nope. I was still a second lieutenant. Um, yeah. Is that is that rank done in time? For those listening, is it is it done in time frames or is it a performance thing from the way the officer side of the house works? No, <laughs> there's no performance. No, it's just it's, time. It's a time thing. Mm. Um, unless uh, there's a there's a politics game to it. Okay. Um, 
And if you don't play the politics game, mm. you will not meet that timeline. Your time takes longer. Yeah, especially <laughs> especially if you've messed up at some point, and uh, then you know they got you. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't pin first lieutenant until actually I was in Korea, mm. uh, getting off the plane in Korea. My <laughs> my battalion commander. I was at this point, we'd already come back from Iraq. I had switched units to um, uh, one six four armor. Uh, so I was a fire support officer for an infantry company in an armor battalion. Mm. And so battalion commander, we're in Korea doing uh, Operation Full Eagle, which is this huge train-up thing on the DMZ and stuff like that. He's like, oh, hey, by the way, uh, you're a first lieutenant now. Mm. I was like, cool. <laughs> uh, he's like, we're going to have a ceremony when we get back. And I was like, or... I could just come to your office. You could throw it on me and we could go. And we should work. And that's what we did. Mm, nice. And so I, I went over to the office, came back to the first lieutenant, and everyone's like, something's different. <laughs> your bar's a different color. It's like, yeah, not a big deal. Let's go. Let's keep working. Yeah. Uh, how was your deployment before we get, got to this point? Uh, how was your deployment? How did that go? Was, um, it, was it fun, memorable, anything out of the ordinary stand out to you that you just like look back now and you're like, okay, that was badass or... Yeah, I mean, I had some really cool experiences yeah. uh, there. I mean, got to kick a lot of doors, uh, yeah. got in a few gunfights. Nice. Um, it it was. I learned a lot about human beings oh, while dude, I was there. Big time. Yeah, I learned a lot about a lot about individuals that do a lot of talking, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, <laughs> they will leave you when when things happen oh, immediately you're so right yeah <laughs> yeah so that again another huge was that reason. up the chain or down the chain both Ooh, damn both. So you, we've experienced similar things and a lot of the guys yeah. at fieldcraft have, have been there so yeah. interesting how that works uh, and you never know right because it's something yeah. new to everybody it's a foreign thing uh, nobody grew, so in America we're not we're not raised and we don't we're raised with seeing the wars and the conflicts right but we've never had war here so we're not like truly embedded with like it's not ingrained in us like we know how to fight right. we know how to be tough um, but we're not living it every day right so some of the dudes that talk a big game tend to not have the big game and uh, I'm sure even the listeners are, are, are agreeing. They've seen it in, in corporate structures. They've sure. seen it when, when something goes bad, like they don't meet certain numbers. I mean, yeah, you'll see it from top and bottom. And people that were super hard charging <laughs> are uh, running the other way. Yeah. Um, cool. And so how was it coming back? I always like to ask that. How was it coming back? And then I know you go to Korea then after that, right? But yeah. how was that transition back? Was it tough? Was it weird? Do you have like a like a hard time adjusting. I know you were still in, so the adjustment yeah. phase doesn't really kick in until you leave the military. Uh, but knowing you were going to somewhere else and not deploying to uh, a combat zone, let's say. Yeah. So I had a rough time coming back, honestly. And I think it was kind of compounded uh, again immediately. We got back. We had that two-week reintegration stuff. Mm-hmm. And they told me during the two weeks, like, hey, you're not going back to your unit. Uh, the guys I had just spent two years with essentially. And they're like, Hey, you're going over to this other unit and you got to be there in like two days. Mm. I was like, uh, okay. So here I am alone. Uh, all my friends from my old unit gone. I don't, you know, 
I don't see them. Because that's by design, right? The cooldown period is by design with your team so you guys can share and have the yep. camaraderie as everything settles because now you're home. Uh, and then they take that from you. Yeah. And I can sympathize 100% because I had no downtime yeah. when I came back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shit, dude. Yep. Damn. So you just get sent over. Yeah. So, well, they send me, so they sent me over to 164 uh, immediately and like it was kind of culture shock to me mm-hmm. uh, because I was almost ready to like out process. Oh. I had less than, less than six months left on my, um, on my uh, service date. So I was like, why are, why are we doing this? And literally got to 164 and they look at me and go, what are you doing here? It's like, I don't know. They told me I had to come over here. You've got less than six months. Why aren't you finishing it yeah. with your unit? That is strange. I don't know. Well, they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to the politics. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but in retrospect, I'm very glad it happened. Uh, I got to be an FSO for a little bit. Uh, which was super cool. Got to work with forward observers, got to pass on knowledge. And actually, uh, I had a really great battalion commander uh, while I was there. And he kind of recognized that I love to teach. And he gave me tons of opportunity. Honestly, when he was trying to keep me, uh, when I told him, listen, sir, I'm, I'm out of here. Like, I am not staying in the army. My mind is made up. He's like, what if I send you to the schoolhouse to be an instructor? Mm. I was like, oh, dude. Oh, hey. I was <laughs> like, I don't know. He's like, what if I send you to NTC to be a pre-deployment instructor? Dude. I was like, oh, man. And honestly, uh, right up until the end, uh, I was like, I think I might stay. <laughs> and and it, if it weren't for one incident Mm. that happened literally you know two or three days before i was gone um i probably would have stayed at least for one more one more run of three years kind of thing uh but luckily something did happen uh and it totally solidified my decision like nope these this is the reason i'm leaving so uh, but that battalion commander kind of pushing me towards instructor stuff and yeah and honestly, letting me set up training for my unit uh, and big training for my unit uh, was a big deal for me. And it really kind of showed me I really love this teaching thing. Like it is, it speaks to my soul. Nice. Like structuring so, training and everything. having it like play out and people actually learning. Mm-hmm. Like that's a big deal, right? Especially oh, yeah. early in, in a career like yours. And and having that chance to do it, dude, that's that's lucky. Not a lot of dudes get that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I was super lucky, and I'm super grateful for him yeah. uh, letting me do that, letting me take that and even recognizing like, hey, you've kind of got some talent here. You should start exploiting that. And I was like, cool. What right. was his rank? I, I don't think I, I caught that. So him. at the time, he was a lieutenant colonel. Okay. Uh, Ross Kaufman was his name. I think he's a general now. Awesome. Um, yeah, great great commander. Um, I would have, I would have liked to have stayed and worked for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, we had talked about me being a battalion FSO for a while and staying with them. If I didn't go to NTC or anything like that, I would have really liked working for him uh, because it was good. It was good. Uh, however, there were other individuals in that unit that solidified my decision to go. It happens, man. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure you've seen it with other buddies and other people you know in the yeah. profession, man. It happens. I mean, it happens. It happens. And it's not even just 
isolated to the military, dude. I've yeah. seen it in law enforcement. I've seen it everywhere. Uh, you just get some bad apples in there, and it rots the whole pot, man. It does, it man. It's pretty it bad. Does. So we're done with that, right? Yep. Uh, you made your decision. You're out. Yeah. Tell, dude, I, wanna, I, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with you about your transition out back into civilian life. Like, I think we kind of breeze over it. I don't think I shared my experiences with you uh, because it's one of those, like, macho things, right? Like, <laughs> I was all good, yeah. uh, even though yeah. I wasn't. I know I wasn't. Uh, and I was shitty, and I did a bunch of bad things that then later on, uh, I mean, I can look back now and say I fixed or sure. worked on. Uh, but I want to hear your story, man. I, I don't think I've, I've heard that. Yeah, so right when I got out, um, I knew I wanted to... I, I knew I wanted to do some form of like executive protection, private security detail stuff. And I guess I kind of have to back up real quick. One of the things I got tasked with when I was in the army in Iraq was uh, Vice President Cheney was coming in into country. And my commander who knew I was, you know, I loved CQB. I loved the, the shooting packages. I loved doing all this stuff. Uh, he tasked me to be the military liaison to Vice President Cheney's uh, counter assault teams. So I got to spend the whole time uh, he was in country, got to spend time with the counter embedded with the counter assault team. Mm. And so I was like, dude, this is awesome. This I, is where it's at. This is what I want <laughs> to do. And one of my biggest life regrets too was uh, the, the team leader of that was a Norwich grad as well. And uh, he said, give me a call when you get out. And I never did because oh. that was dumb. Yeah. But Calm down. Life is life. Yeah. If I still had his number, I totally would. Dude, it's, it's uh, present day. You can find anybody. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Shit. Oh, uh, that's creepy, uh, but yes. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I knew I wanted to do something like that. And right before I got out, I did a shooting program uh, uh, with a guy who I had trained with at Valhalla. And he said, listen, if you want to get into EPPSD work, you got two choices. You try and get on with Blackwater right now. And this was, I think, right about the time, you know, Blackwater was kind of falling apart. Right, towards uh, the end of there. Or you go to this school in Colorado and you go like full private contractor kind of stuff and work everything. Mm. I was like, cool, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And and the big push, not to cut that off, yeah. we'll continue right there. The, the big push for early exit into contracting, a lot of it, I think, has to do, and I don't even think people realize it, has to do with our clearances. Yeah, right? 100%. Because they expire. And if you yep. got yours early, I mean, you're in that 10-year window um, for TS, right? TS is still 10. Yep. Uh, and anything higher, I mean, you got to you gotta hurry up. <laughs> yep. It is not long. Yeah. Especially, and if it's compartmentalized, it's right. like, nope, you're done. Yeah. Like, they might so, even pull it when you leave. Yeah. Exactly. Right, right. Exactly. So, so you yeah. chose that school in Colorado. I did. Yeah. I did. So I went there. Uh, literally, I, I, I got out. I moved uh, all my stuff into a storage unit, and I went to Chicago for like a week. Mm -hmm. And then I had some buddies who I had been in, in the Army with and, and grew up with in high school. And they're like, hey, we're living in Tucson, Arizona. Why don't you come hang out after you get done this little uh, this class in Colorado, which was like 28 days or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? So I go to this thing in Colorado. I don't know anyone. I don't honestly know how to act outside of the military. Mm. And it was weird. It was super weird because I'm surrounded by, number one, all these dudes that are like all basically getting out of the military or, yeah. you know, <laughs> some are like, you know, 
National Guard dudes. So they're in a civilian world their whole time and everything. Uh, so I'm like, I don't know who I can trust, who I can't trust. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know anything about this type of situation. So I just kept my mouth shut for like 28 days. And then eventually got to the shooting program and I let my guns do the talking. Nice. And that kind of solidified where I was with everyone. They're like, oh, man. And I was nowhere near the shooter I am today. Was that um, like the shooting portion? Is that like week like two? When, when? No, it was right at the very is end. It? Oh, it's, yeah. it is towards the end, isn't it? Yeah. Like the last five days or something, yep. I liked the shooting. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to the same school for you guys not uh, that didn't know, just so you guys understand how we kind of know these things, <laughs> um, which is going to lead us to a very fun story later on. Oh, but yes. So shooting, that's kind of where you excelled there. Yeah. Um, how was the program for you uh, as far as that goes? Uh, did you, did it leave, did it like, honestly, did it live up to your expectations initially? And I know expectations are different because you don't know what to expect sometimes. Um, and were all your guys military in your class or did you have some civilian dudes? Now, so I did the executive protection program first and that, I mean, pretty much totally lived up to my expectations because I didn't know anything about it. Right. So that, yeah, cool. That's all right. This is EP work. This is. You know, how to run advances, this is how to run a diamond, this is yeah. how to do all this stuff, right? So I didn't I didn't really know that outside of the high-profile military PSD-style yeah. stuff. So it was it was cool. I, I learned a lot. Um, it lived up to my expectations at the time. I was happy with it. Uh, when I went back for another course, however, their private security detail course, that did not live up to my expectations mm-hmm. at all. I was very disappointed with that. Did it almost seem like it was almost the same curriculum with just a long gun? Yes. <laughs> yes. And Funny how that goes. Yeah. And the, the, the program was very different when I went through as opposed mm-hmm. to even to when you went through, which was, I think, just Was it like a year? Later. Yeah, a year later. Yeah. So it, it was disappointing. It was mm. super disappointing to me. And at this point, I mean, I had been... Uh, shooting with other companies by then. Uh, I'd done a bunch of Magpul courses. I had done, uh, you know, some stuff with uh, other guys shooting carbines and pistols and everything, yeah. uh, long guns. And uh, so I was expecting more when I went there. And honestly, it was, okay, uh, do a route brief. I, yeah, dude, this is, mm-hmm. you know, this is basic Army 101 kind of stuff. And then the shooting package was... Yeah. Less than bueno. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll come back to, to this school, but tell us more about the all the other stuff that is little uh, or rarely spoken of. Your Magpul influence. Sure. How, how much you did there. Dude, even the shit with Under Armour, because I know you were frontline on developing the tech clothing. Yep. Um, a bunch of stuff people don't know that you did, dude. Let's, <laughs> let's fucking get it out there. Yeah. So uh, the Magpul stuff. Um, I randomly had just gotten out of the army. I knew I had seen the Magpul videos and mm. like, there's stuff here that I need to learn. So, cause honestly, I didn't get a ton of shooting knowledge out of the military. Yeah. I could, I could align sights. I could press a trigger and that was about the extent of it. Yeah. And so I saw Magpul, I signed up for Magpul. I didn't get into Magpul. And then right as I was leaving Georgia, they uh, oh man, I can't remember her name, but she, uh, 
one of the girls over at Magpul called me and says, hey, you want to be in the class? And I was like, absolutely, let's do this. Mm -hmm. So I went there and it's funny because I ran into dudes I went to high school with in this class just randomly, yeah. um, which was super cool. So I shot with Magpul and very successfully and I you know, shot with them for two other courses, both carbine courses and a handgun course. And at the time, uh, I'm sure I can put this out there. I don't think yeah. there's any reason why, right? Uh, so Chris uh, talked to me at the time. He's like, would you be interested in maybe doing something with us? I was like, absolutely. Okay, so if we had a tryout, you would come to the trial? I was like, yeah, I am 100% interested and invested in this. Yeah. Let's do this. I mean, at the time, it was... Teaching with Magpul. Dude, they were hot uh, shit when they, yeah. when they were out running and gunning. Dude. Exactly. Shit. So I was all about that, yeah. uh, 100%. And again, you know, the first time I had to learn uh, the hard way about putting all your eggs in one basket mm. kind of thing, because that just never materialized at all. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I sent messages to Chris and the other dudes. And at the time, a, a buddy of mine, Steve Fisher, was there too. I was like, are we doing this? Are we not doing this? What are we doing? And it just never never came to fruition. So, but then it, everything kind of I don't want to use the word fell apart, but everything kind of took a back step with them, right? As far as like teaching yeah. and training and videos and uh, they, core stuff, right? Yeah, they, they kind totally of totally restructured. Yeah. Uh everyone basically left and they went uh, product heavy then, right? Yeah, super yeah. product heavy. Yeah. And, and and they were product heavy at the time too. Okay. Um but So do you know the history so. of where those videos came from? Did they come because of the product or did they come because of something else? They came, as I understand it, they came because of Chris. Okay. Uh, when so they brought he Chris on. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Um, and I mean, I, you know, credit where credit's due, they did a ton for the training industry. Yeah, they uh, did. So, They're still influenced. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I learned the hard way that not all the eggs need to go in one basket. Um, but at the time, I also had uh, a buddy at Under Armour. And he was like, hey, uh, so you're into this whole tactical world thing and you're doing EP and stuff like that. Want to help us design some clothing? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And that's a big company, dude. Yeah. You don't turn that down. You know no I mean? way. Like, I'll play with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I was all about it. And I honestly, I just had uh, one kind of stipulation with them. It's like, whatever we do, I want my company name in some way associated with mm -hmm. it. Right, and at the time, I uh, I had owned a company called uh, Scar. Scar. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so Scar was around, and uh, I just wanted something to help build the brand of Scar. Nice. Right. So we developed these pants for them. Uh, we gave them some feedback on like their concealed carry line that they were trying to roll out at the time, and then the pants came out, and they were a hit. And there was no credit anywhere. Oof. Not even in like personal conversations with individuals. Yeah, when they're talking about development, things yeah. like that. Jeez. Yeah. So I was I was super disappointed with that. Do you think um, that stemmed from the top of the organization, or was that somewhere in the um, like the production line for that that side? You know, I honestly don't know, no. man. Um, I know no one knew who we were, mm -hmm. not that people know who we are now or at the time, <laughs> but uh, I get it. But I'll tell you the thing that really upset me about it is uh, a few years later down the road, they took our pants and uh, that was our big seller was these tack pants. And they 
kind of restructured the the measurements for females. Mm. And then they put a certain female's name on these pants. Oh. Like she developed them. Yeah. And well, I was mad. I bet. So uh, stuff like that. Yeah. So that kind of that ended that. That ended a lot for them too, though, right? Because they don't have yeah. that line anymore. Nope. They nope. kind of just discontinued and they routed themselves to the hunting stuff. Right. Yeah. They just figured that was a big, bigger market, which yeah. kind of makes sense, I guess. But yeah. 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 And it's more their market, honestly. Yeah. So. And then, they, yeah, then they don't have to, like, like a hardcore affiliation with the, the shooting community outside right. of hunting, right? Right. Because um, a lot of companies shy away from that. It, sure. It's a big deal, especially with politics in place and big companies that are publicly traded. So yeah, yeah it makes sense for them. Uh, so back to back to the Colorado school and you, you go through the two programs and how did you end up teaching for them? Yeah, so I, I got through um, the first program and they had this affiliate instructor program. And I knew I wanted to teach stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, shooting, I definitely want to teach shooting. I'm all about this. So I sign up for this affiliate instructor program. And they never really call me back. Uh, I just thought, like, you sign up and you show up at the next class once you've been accepted. So I get accepted and I sent uh, the vice president an email at the time said, okay, I'll see you guys in a couple days. And they said, what are you talking about? It's like, Oh, I'm an affiliate for you guys. They're like, no, you don't understand. We, we decide you might have to wait two or three years before you become an affiliate here. And I was like, uh, I've already started driving towards you guys. <laughs> so they're like, okay, well just come and we'll start your affiliate program now. So I start, that and then I did the uh, PSD course they had, and the owner asked me and another dude to come on as uh, full-time shooting instructors for them. Uh, with, with and that was the long gun or carbine and pistol work there. Uh, so we did that, and that's I think you were my first class I taught PSD. Were we? Yeah, I think oh. so. I think you guys were my first class. Uh, are we going to talk about how we met? We will, but I remember okay. how I met you before we truly met, like our initial contact. Um, <laughs> just, just priming the audience. Uh, I remember, um, geez, what was his name, dude? The, the the lead guy for that program. Madison. Madison. Yeah. He was going around talking to everybody and you were in the crowd and he asked what series people were. And I threw out the 19 series, right? Because I was a 19 Delta. And he right. thought I was an 18 series guy. And he was asking me about group. Right. And I was like, no. And then you're like, oh, no, 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 19 series this. And you explained it. And I looked over. I was like, oh, cool. This dude knows his shit because he knew the difference. And not that Madison didn't know the difference. Sure. Um, but he was he himself was surrounded by team dudes all the time. So he heard that teen series. And he was like, oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's what I remember when I looked over and I saw you. Um, that's when I remember you. And uh-huh. then we met a little bit later um, in the program, right? Yeah. So, yep. Let's do that. Let's fucking let's yeah. tell that story, dude. And it's part of the shooting package, right? Yeah. 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 So right before, it was really right before the shooting package. It's oh, the yeah. force on mm-hmm. force 
portion, right? Where you're running, uh, you're running details, you're, you know, doing the diamonds, doing uh, react contacts, uh, tax on principle, stuff like that. And all of this shit is happening in this little town in Colorado. <laughs> yeah. And you're driving like a hundred miles an hour down their highways, up over their streets. Yep. You're fucking murdering their, um, their roundabouts. It's just, <laughs> it's just like crazy. It's cool how they have the agreement with the city, I guess, yeah. somehow to not get hemmed up with all the dumb shit we oh, were doing. Man. Oh yeah. So the force on force thing. Yeah. So uh, you guys were running the force on force. And I remember Madison uh, telling me and this other dude, hey, uh, go hide behind this wall. And then, you know, when we start getting in an argument, you know, come out guns a blazing kind of stuff. So you, I don't know if you were the AIC or you were someone in, in the detail, but you were yeah. in the room, right? And it was either you or one of the other dudes obviously knew we were back there because Madison wouldn't let anyone back there. Whoever mm, was playing the, yeah. you know, the, the meet and greet dude knew not to let us, not to let us. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, things go on and then, uh, in the scenario, everything starts getting heated. Mm. Right. And then my buddy Eric and I come out from the back yeah. of this wall, <laughs> you know, guns out, ready to go. This is all simunition, airsoft yeah. kind of stuff. Right before anyone freaks out, <laughs> so we come out from behind the wall, and Eric just just starts laying fire down, and I come up and I try and raise my rifle, and you were like right there, yeah. waiting for me to come around that corner. And remember, you and I start tussling over my <laughs> rifle, and we're 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 scrapping yeah, in the middle of this going, <laughs> this this shack right and basically it keeps going and they were doing something else over there yeah. you know other dudes doing, were reacting to eric and there was yeah they were right. getting the they were getting the uh the principal out they were doing all that other shit yeah. <laughs> right while you and i are having this epic battle <laughs> in this shack right uh, which pretty much ends with you and i going through a wall through like the outer the exterior wall and I remember looking and I see this nail like right next to my eye because we went through yeah, like pushed the out, wall. Like we were yeah. hanging out, yeah. Yeah, and I remember holding on to you. And at this point, it's like less about scrapping and more about me not falling and losing my eye. I'm yeah. like, okay, I think we're good. Yeah. We're good here. And, <laughs> and that was like the index right there. Yeah. Well, but, I remember that because as I, as I push you through the through this like, and not a false wall, but it was just, it, it was a plywood wall mm -hmm. attached to these like, two by sixes almost, right. right? And the nails were in in both directions. It was like this weird, yeah. <laughs> weirdly yeah. built structure. <laughs> so we get in between the two beams and as you go out, I see them too, but I see you look at them because yeah. they're like aiming outward, right? right? So you can imagine that. If, if you're imagining AJ's position, he's hanging out halfway of a wall. There's uh, these two two by sixes next to him where we kind of like fell through <laughs> and then nails facing you because they were holding onto the wall. Right. And uh, I remember that. And then you're like, all right, index. And we're like, all right, let's stop this. <laughs> it was a really cool experience. It was. It, was. it was. It was awesome. Um, and I mean, we were fast friends after yeah, that. Definitely. And I, that's kind of where I was like, man, I really look up to this dude as far as like shooting and the way you teach and explain things. And man, you've had a huge influence on me. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, and I think I've waited a long time because now is a good time to say those things. Like, I know I talk to you personally and say those sure. things, but like on an open platform like this, like, dude, I really appreciate the influence you had on me and getting me to kind of where I am now. Because, uh, a lot of the things that I learned from you as far as teaching and being very direct, cutting the fluff, like all that mm -hmm. shit, um, though I learned it here and there, 
it didn't really get pieced together till like I saw you teach and I worked with you and I learned under you and learned stuff from you and how you ran a program and a, a fucking class. Because everything's different, right? Running a class is different than making a program is different Absolutely. than the execution because all of it has to do with individuals and personalities. And that's the hard part. We talked about it this weekend too, <laughs> um, dealing with personalities. So thank you, dude. Just wanted yeah. to say that. Oh, uh, thanks, man. Yeah. And then I think we ended up going back and teaching together there. We did. Yeah. Yeah. I think we must have taught two or three classes there yeah. together. Um yeah, because Eric left. Mm -hmm. uh, he was not interested in, <laughs> in doing that anymore. He he ended up uh, going to work for the federal government. Uh, and yeah, I think I I stayed there probably two or three more years. And we had a huge change in leadership yeah. over there. And there again, another one of those instances where I put all my eggs in one basket. Mm. And they, you know, they talk a good game. And, oh, you're going to be the director of training for, for the PSD program. Mm. Awesome. I am all about this. I think I remember you telling me and I was pumped about it for yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, it was a huge thing yeah. for, at least for me at the time, like finally to have my own program, not to have to go off of other individuals, like this is what we think is important mm. and know like, no, this is how you develop shooters. And uh, th th I showed up for the next class. I think you were there too. Yeah. And they're like, oh, hey, here's this other guy. He's now the director of training. I was like, I remember what? that dude. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a huge letdown for mm -hmm. me. And that kind of led to the end of my time with, with that organization. And, and it wasn't, just to clear that up, it wasn't performance based. I think it's just the dude was like older and in the industry longer. Yeah. A lot more I mean? experience. Yeah. So um, he had more of a name, perhaps. Yeah. Because uh, I remember him. I didn't know who he was. Yeah. He's uh, a great dude. And yeah. I still talk to him. Uh, I still talk to both those guys we worked yeah. for at the time. Great dudes, huge influences on me, mm -hmm. but uh, also a huge letdown when you show up <laughs> thinking you're going to run a program and and they're like, "Hey, you're just an underling." Yeah, they're like, "Hey, you're you're a lead instructor instead of uh, you know director of training." <laughs> so, and so all this tactical stuff, right? And we'll yeah. just use that term loosely. I hate that term. I know um, because it just it doesn't really make sense. Uh, but yeah, people use it and that's what it's known of. All this tactical shooting, uh, pistols, carbines, shotguns, everything, uh, tactical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how then did you transition into the comp world, the competition oh, shooting yeah. or performance shooting? I don't What's a better way? I know, um, Layton was kind of like, uh, I don't like being called a competition shooter kind of deal. And I can kind of see his point. So is it more performance shooting? I know it's a competition, right? That doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily mean it's competition shooting. I mean, innately, it's a competition, right? Right. Uh, but what is it? What is it more in your opinion? Is it more performance shooting? Is it more? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll let you get, yeah. get that one. Yeah. So to me, it's uh, shooting is shooting, yeah. right? And that's why it's all performance shooting to me, mm. right? Because... Mm -hmm. Shooting guns fast and accurate is the same whether I'm shooting dudes yeah. or I'm shooting paper. It yeah. doesn't matter. Right. It, it really, you have to hit something. You have to hit things, <laughs> right? And it, it just doesn't matter. So really I look at it as it, it's performance shooting, right? Mm -hmm. And I honestly, I thought I knew a lot about shooting uh, coming out of the tactical world, right? And tactical shooting yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, and then I shot a competition. And I was wrong. I totally was wrong. And I came, you know, I had dudes telling me basically my whole shooting career, like competition gets you killed on those streets. Ugh. Right. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, because that's all you know, right? That's right. the only influences you have. Yeah. Exactly. And then 
I shot my first competition and mind blown. Yeah. Like, dude, this uh this dentist just like destroyed me. <laughs> uh and he's shooting like a stock gun and uh I do this for a living and he doesn't. Yeah. So that's like his weekend hobby and he's better right. than most like tech dudes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So that, that was a huge thing. So yeah, I'm all about the performance shooting, all about, uh, shooting is shooting and uh, yeah, the scenario changes, right? The context yeah, changes, for sure. but the, the procedures, the techniques, they don't, yeah. they don't really I change. I mean, having to grip a gun, hold it where you want, fire it, hit something, it's all the same. Yeah. Uh, one is just more, and I, I don't even want to say one's more emotionally compromised or compromising, sure. but one you have the you you know what you're getting into right i guess both you know what you're getting into when you're kicking doors down chasing dudes with right. guns like you fucking know at well, at some point somebody's going to fucking point a gun at you <laughs> um but with competition you know you're going to competition you have time to prep you can see the stage you can do all these things so it dude, shooting is shooting i don't i don't yeah. i don't know how to not complicate that uh you still need to be able to fucking perform so performance shooting right i think right. that was my question like <laughs> five minutes ago <laughs> uh, yeah yeah uh and then how did that how did that that one match how did that become master class shooter now oh dude a long road <laughs> a super long road right i remember being there when you were dry firing and you're just like frustrated <sighs> um because you yeah. should have been master a long time ago yeah 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 so basically uh it took me two years to make master. Um, and, and by that, I mean, it took me two years at, if you understand like competitive shooting USPSA, uh, you have to score 85%, an average of 85% over six classifiers to hit master. And I was at 83% for two years mm. while actively shooting competition. So I yeah. jumped to like 84 and then I dropped down to 83 again and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth so the classifiers are are different than the matches right yeah so the match you get an overall score and percentage and then like where you stand for the day with the people there right and then there's right. usually a classifier in there or there's classifier days i remember those yeah uh, and you get to do all six and kind of get your your average right exactly so classifiers do one thing stages do another 100 percent. okay 100 percent. so the best, the best way I can probably explain it is classifiers are, uh, they're like the qual. Okay. Right? Whereas stages are what you do every day mm. with guns mm -hmm. that aren't the qual. Gotcha. Right? So classifiers are just there to, to test uh, very specific certain skills. Uh, mm. Whereas stages are really honestly more about uh, thinking and the ability to not overthink certain mm. things and just let your skills where they sit just apply themselves. Gotcha. So now we're now you're knee deep in this, right? Right. You're going and going, and there's that two year gap where you're like, oh, what's happening? Um, did, and I know I've seen you shoot different pistols and calibers within that. Uh, did you play with those just to figure out kind of what you were better at, or just because you just didn't want to be frustrated with one, or? What were your decision making? What was the decision making process for jumping back and forth in the divisions? Right. So, honestly, when I first started competitive shooting, I, much like everything, like I was so convinced, 
oh, I'll spend about a year doing this and I'll be a GM and, and that'll be it, right? Because <laughs> I see people and they can do it in six months. So yeah. give myself a year, it'll be fine. And that is not the case at all. It is way harder than that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you start thinking, well, what do I, what do I shoot the best, right? And at the time, I was very heavily into like M&P handguns, mm. right? Uh, Smith & Wesson M&Ps. I shot those, a ton of those in production division. And then I was like, well, I'm going to go shoot something else because I think I can do better in like limited division. Uh, and then for me, my whole life, I mean, I learned the first, that first TAC pistol class we talked about. Mm -hmm. I shot a 1911 and 45. Mm -hmm. And I knew I loved that. And I, I just, I love 1911s. I love shooting 1911s. I love building 1911s now. I just love everything about that system. I am the best with it. I am the most accurate with it. I am the fastest with it. It is like hands down my thing. But <laughs> you, you make stupid decisions sometimes, mm. you know, trying to get that extra leg up instead of just maximizing, you know, that, that system. So I tried. I tried shooting like limited uh, for a long time with a, a double stack STI in 40, trying to make something, right? And I just, I gun jumped a lot, which mm. I preach, don't gun jump. And there I am gun jumping. And it's, you know, it's a terrible thing. It, it probably cost me a year, oh. uh, you know, just, just gun jumping and stuff like time. that. It is, yeah. it is, especially when you're trying to go places yeah. with stuff. Um, so... Eventually, I just wound back up in single stack, and I knew I wanted to be in single stack. And I chose, uh, I shot single stack minor for a long time, about two years, uh, so a 9 mil 1911. And really, I did it for financial reasons. Yeah. Um, it's a lot less expensive. It's a, yeah, it's a ton less expensive. And it was literally the same gun I carried every day mm. was single stack 9 mil. So I could carry that gun uh and use that gun all day in competition, swap mags, put it in my, my holster and, and go home for the day. Uh, and then <laughs> I shot a class fire. I missed making master by two points, which mm. is essentially a, an alpha hit uh, versus a Charlie hit. Oof. And knowing that had I been shooting a major caliber, 45 or 40, at uh, 175 power or 165 power factor, I would have been a master. Mm. And I got so frustrated with it that <laughs> I, I put that gun in the safe and I grabbed, honestly, I grabbed a, uh, a bone stock 1911 and 45, an old Springfield MC operator. And I just said, I'm going to shoot 45 from now on because I'm tired of giving up these points. Mm. And almost immediately i was a master <laughs> which was dumb uh, oh. so and honestly the reason it happened was cuz i i was so frustrated i shot a match uh i didn't i didn't make master again and at that point i said i am done trying to make master mm. i am tired of this i don't like it has been too much emotionally, physically, everything over the last two years of sitting here, I'm just done with it. I'm just going to try and win matches from now on. Yeah. And the next match I made master. <laughs> Dude, that Zen, right? That yeah. understanding of that letting go to gain something, yeah. right? That's... Well, and it's funny too, because you hear a lot of dudes say the exact same thing. 
I, I made it when I stopped trying to make it because I didn't care anymore, mm-hmm. right? And I get that. And I heard that for years in interviews with dudes and I'm like, okay, tell yourself not to care about it anymore. <laughs> but you can't. You no. can't just be like, I don't care anymore nope. when deep down emotionally you do. You do. It's, it's, it's a switch, man. And I say it to a lot of things. Uh, I say it with fighting. I say it with just shooting or getting out and practicing until you actually make that conscious decision internally. Like it clicks Okay, cool. Now I'm going to be on this path. Right. Uh, you can say it all you want, like you're saying, uh, but inside it's like festering and you want it. And it's like this weird thing uh, that until you truly let go, shit doesn't really change, right? Yeah. yeah. 100%. So all this time, right, you're shooting and you're doing all this. You're also a gunsmith instructor on top of being a gunsmith yourself, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So when I left uh, the school in Colorado, I needed something. Uh, I wasn't quite sure I was done with like contracting and EP work at that point. And I was like, I need something that I'm not living feast or famine kind of stuff. Oh, so I'll go be a gunsmith. There's a place in, in Arizona that teaches gunsmithing. I'll go there. And little did I know gunsmithing is very much feast or famine as well. But, (laughs) uh, um, yeah, so I, I, I came out to Arizona I took two years of this program. I got accepted into their third year program, which is, they, they call it master gunsmithing program. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of that because I do believe, you know, you can't just get a certificate and now you're a master gunsmith. Uh, it's much harder than that. Uh, but when I was finishing up, they offered me a job to stay on teaching and I, I accepted. So uh, I was completely out of of the the tactical world outside of just being an everyday civilian uh you know concealed carrier and i started building guns full-time and teaching full-time and every school year now i teach uh i teach two semesters of gunsmithing so how how is gunsmithing though is it is it what you thought it was going to be because i i i have my own thoughts as to what it is but i'm probably wrong uh is it more labor intensive? Is it still cool, like creative building? Is it more fixing, building, everything? Well, <laughs> it depends. Okay. <laughs> it really depends. So I was very adamant about not wanting to be a general gunsmith. Okay. Right? I didn't want dudes bringing their grandpa's shotgun that hasn't been cleaned in, you know, 75 years and charging them for me to clean their gun. Right. Now, if I was a smart man, like some of my <laughs> friends, I would have just said, absolutely, uh, pay me money, I will do whatever you want, yeah. and I will work on every gun known to man. Mm. But that wasn't me. <laughs> and so uh, I, I, from the get-go, I was like, no, I'm going to build 1911s, custom 1911s, and custom 2011s, and that's what I'm going to do. And so I did. And <laughs> that, while it is super rewarding, it, it doesn't pay like, yeah, like, like general gunsmithing yeah. does. So uh, as far as creative... I mean, yeah, there's certain things I can I can get creative with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it helped me develop like what I call my signature cocking serrations, mm-hmm. which uh, are s- just a super aggressive uh, uh, type of ball style cocking serration. But it's the most aggressive thing I've ever felt on a gun. And that was just me like, I like the look of this. Now let's make this practical. Mm. And really it was the other way around. I was like, this is grippy. Now let's make it look good Mm. and that's what i did 
So you've got some some leeway there, uh, but really it's it's all labor, man. Is it? Yeah, it's a lot of work. A lot of work. Yeah. So you figure like a, a bare bones nineteen eleven, mm-hmm. right, or twenty eleven. It's about forty hours of work. Damn. And then you know the more crazy you want to get. Uh, I mean, I've built guns that were upwards of eighty hours of labor in them. And it's so. building them from like. Obviously, there's parts that come in, right, that are pre-built. Sure. And then sure. there's stuff you can build yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, so let's say it was completely raw materials. How long would it take for a gun to get built, like a 1911? Like, so here's a block of steel and here's another block of steel or here's a frame, here's yeah, a slide. Yeah, like what, 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 what's more real? What's more realistic? Dudes that get like frames and pieces that they then they just like fine-tune and master and create tolerances for or is yeah. it – uh, do you get blocks of fucking steel and build it from absolute nothing? <laughs> yeah, so it, it does kind of depend, right? Yeah. Um, so for me, I have someone manufactures my frames for me, mm-hmm. uh, and they send me a frame. It's a raw frame, but a majority of the cuts are there and ready for me to fit. So like the rails are way mm-hmm. oversized. I have to fit them okay. for a slide that's already been cut. But the slides I get... like other than the ejection port and like all the things that need to be on there, they're completely blank. There's no cocking serrations. There's no ball cuts. There's, so you do all that. Yeah, I do everything. Okay. I like to control all those things because it gives me the most options. Mm. Um, instead of like someone said, this is where your serration should go. But it also gives the, the clients an option too, right? Sure. Because they can add and take things that they want. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, okay. I've got guys that, you know, they don't want, rear cocking serrations on their gun. Mm. They just want front cocking serrations on their gun. Okay, I can do that. Mm -hmm. And I can look like it's supposed to be that way instead of taking a gun and cutting them out. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, tons of options there. But, and then everything's just hand fitting and machine fitting and, yeah. There's a lot of labor in that. There is. I remember watching you work on stuff and I was just like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to go watch TV. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's a lot, man. Yeah. And honestly, you know, every year, so my students at the gunsmithing school, uh, every third semester, right? So in their third semester, uh, they're required to build me or rebuild for me a 1911. Mm. And normally at the beginning of the semester, like probably a majority of the class is like, yes, this is what I want to do. In the beginning. I love this. Yeah. And then, so it takes about 11 weeks for us to go through the whole program. Mm -hmm. And that's just to teach them how to build a basic 1911. Right about, uh, I don't know, six weeks into it, they're like, I never want to touch these guns again. (laughs) This is really hard. And there's so many things I don't know. So yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of labor. And so they, I see this little trend with you, and it's funny. Yeah. You go somewhere, you do some stuff, and then somebody above you is like, hey, let's have you teach some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that, that is, that is right? in a nutshell, the story of my life yeah, right there. <laughs> yeah. Is that, that also happened then with the gunsmithing thing, right? Yep. Because you, totally. you went through the same program that you are now teaching. Yep. Yeah. Yep. When Friends. I was getting ready to, when I was getting ready to leave, my boss now was like, hey, you want to teach here? Yeah, I do. Hmm. So, that's so so. <laughs> how do you balance all of that? Teaching, c- competing, building, fixing, like yeah, it's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. I got a lot of irons and a lot of fires. Yeah, which uh, I, I mean, I won't lie. At times, it's super frustrating. Hmm. It's too much going on at times for even me. 
Um, but do you find this to be a better balance than uh, putting all your eggs in one basket and then it being like, fuck. Totally. Right? Totally. Options are a good thing. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? So the nice thing about everything I do, everything, like you said at the beginning of the show, everything is my whole life is around guns, mm-hmm. right? Whether I'm shooting them, I'm teaching about them, uh, I'm building them, everything is about them. And I never would have thought that was my life because I was never a uh, a gun guy, mm-hmm. honestly. Even when I was like starting to get heavy into shooting, like I didn't really care what I was shooting. Yeah, I just wanted to shoot and whatever made me better at shooting. Yeah, And then eventually, because of my love for the 1911, I was like, okay, now I guess I am a gun guy because I can tell you how to build it. But it's, it's weird because it's not really, I don't consider myself a gun guy. I just, I'm a 1911 guy yeah. or a 2011 guy. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm a performance shooting guy. Yeah. If it makes me better perform, honestly, 100%. Uh, granted, I wholeheartedly believe the 1911 and 2011 are the right gun for me, mm-hmm. right? If I found out tomorrow that, oh, hey, I am way better at shooting CZs or, or uh, you know, Walthers or something else, then I'd be shooting those mm. performance-wise. Gotcha. Uh, but, you know, the 2011 and 1911 have been the performance gun for me. They do everything I want, and I can make them do everything I want. Yeah. So and and I guess people don't really realize that that <laughs> a lot of us in this industry we're not really gun guys. Yeah. Like I don't own a lot of guns. I I know you have gun parts cuz you're obviously fixing and sure. and putting things together and all this stuff. Um but like I don't own a lot of guns. Me personally, I I I own the guns that I shoot at courses, the guns that I train with, and I think I have a total of maybe 6. Sure. That's it. Yeah. Um See, and I have I, a shit ton of ammo though. And I shoot a lot. <laughs> See, yeah. that's the key yeah, there. Yeah. I, I honestly, I will say, I think I have a lot of guns compared to most guys. I don't have a lot of guns. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of handguns. And honestly, there was a period in my life where I wholeheartedly believed, like, if you were going to uh, teach a department that had Glock 22s, you had to shoot a Glock 22. Mm-hmm. And if you were going to do something with someone that shot SIGs, you needed to shoot SIGs. And you know, that aided in my gun jumping a lot yeah. too. But it was with purpose. It was with right? purpose. Like you should be able to time. pick up any gun and get it going. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing it, that I've evolved and learned over time is that, yeah, I can shoot my 1911 all the time. The only gun I shoot all the time. And because shooting is really shooting, mm-hmm. I can pick up a Glock and run it really 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 well yeah. or i can pick up a cz and run it really 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 well yeah because shooting is shooting now there's little aspects that are going to be different the timing is going to be different you know the 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 grip angle is going to be different so i got to add you know a little bit different grip pressures yeah. and stuff like that to run it but if you're a good shooter you're a good shooter yeah you can pick up anything and shoot well. yeah exactly yeah. well that's funny because you you gave me the advice to go into to get back into competitive shooting with the the 2011, right? I did, yeah. Uh, and, and I agree, and I'm going to take your word for it, and that's kind of what I got coming. I have a, a Triarch Systems 2011 coming. Nice. So it's going to be cool, uh, and it's performance-based. It's like you said, performance. Some guns perform better than others, and, and if the shooter's already halfway decent, you can make him better. Uh, and this doesn't always apply to gear, right? Gear is a weird solution to a problem that just comes from not training sometimes. So, so I, I kind of have a... Uh, not so much a feeling or an adage about that. Uh, 
but I, I honestly believe the gun doesn't make you better mm -hmm. at all. Right, so you shooting a 2011 mm -hmm. isn't going to make you a better shooter, mm -hmm. but what it is going to do is it's going to take away things that are holding you back mm. from maximizing your your skill. Okay, right now, right. Okay. So now, yeah. uh, you know, you don't have oh my trigger is limiting my ability to shoot right. well, right? Or or the the cycle rate of my gun is limiting my ability to do certain mm. things. Mm. Now we've made gear not not part of your equation. Yeah. This is good. This is accurate. This does exactly what it needs to do. Now you're not held back by the system. Now you better be better. Exactly. You have, <laughs> you have literally no, no excuse yeah. now. That's awesome. Yeah. I like that kind of pressure though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To me, it's going to be, it's going to be intense. It's, I can't wait for that gun to come in and just start rolling. But yeah, dude, there's, there is the way you phrase that. Just put another little layer of pressure. Uh, Cause <laughs> it's no more excuses, dude. Get out there and, and, and do work. Yeah. Uh, how did how did uh, your company now uh, practical performance shooting come about? Yeah, so about 2015, right? I was still a, I was a gunsmithing student, and I uh, had moved out here to Arizona and found an amazing shooting facility out here that I, I I'm there all the time. Keep it <laughs> nameless so that people don't infiltrate. Indeed, do not <laughs> come here. We're full. Well, it's everything's full. <laughs> but I so I found it out here and they were such a huge shooting community out here, competitive shooting community. And honestly, there's a huge tactical shooting community out here too. There is. Um, so it really like kind of reinvigorated my, my shooting. Cause I was kind of in a, a plateau at the time. And, you know, I, I shot with a, a bunch of dudes like my first year here, mm -hmm. not, um, not local dudes, but I went to a bunch of classes with certain certain guys that really like took me to this next level of understanding of mm. shooting. And I spent probably that first year of uh, of living out here like totally engulfed in shooting, mm. like four or five days a week, Damn. totally. And I hadn't met my wife at the time yet. I I had a dog and I had a house. And I had you my guns and I was literally like, I would go to school in the morning, leave school, uh, go home, check on the dog, go to the range, come back when it got dark. Cause I couldn't see anymore. <laughs> and I just shot and shot and shot and shot and shot trying to incorporate all this new stuff that I started to understand mm. about shooting. And so that was a huge thing for me. And as I was doing that, I was developing this idea, uh, cause you know, there's, there's a lot of us that walk this line between, if you want to call it two worlds, mm -hmm. right? Where we're tactical guys or former tactical guys. Mm -hmm. We're also competitive guys. And we understand that like shooting is shooting, man. Yeah. Right. And that, holy crap, I wish I knew this stuff when I was a, like a full on tactical guy. Yeah. Right. Cause I could have been so much better mm -hmm. when I, when I needed it. Right. So it, it would have been, it would have been nice. So I, I thought what would, what would blend these worlds? Right. Uh, and then, you know, I threw around a bunch of concepts like, you know, practical, tactical kind of concepts. Mm. And, and at one point I was like tactical application of practical shooting. It's perfect. <laughs> and then I was like, why do I know that? And then I had, you know, Pat Max book on my shelf and I was like, oh, subconsciously infiltrating my brain. Uh, so then eventually I just, I, I, I came out, I was like, okay, we're dealing with practical shooting. We're dealing with 
or a practical application of shooting, we're dealing with performance uh, concepts in mm -hmm. shooting, practical performance. That makes total sense. Yeah. And at the time, you know, I, I was just starting gunsmithing and stuff like that, and it just it worked out perfect because my whole process, my my ideas about building guns, mm -hmm. right, is they need to be practical and they need to be able to perform, oh, right? So, that, yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, this is it, man. So uh, that's that's really what started practical performance and and got me here. Nice. So, and you've been rocking and rolling with that since like twenty. 15, right? Yeah, 20, yeah, 2015. I think yeah. I, I started, I, I filed the, the LLC yeah. in like December 2015. Nice. So 2016, we were full Wrong. on practical performance. And so w within the company, what do you, what do you do? Uh, does, does, so I know there's training involved. Does it also have, is that how you link your gunsmithing or is that something separate? Uh, so the gunsmithing is kind of something okay. separate. Yeah. They they are linked purely because they are Guns. they are the same company, <laughs> yeah. right? And uh, again, my beliefs about performance being like you can buy performance a hundred percent. You can buy performance, but what you're buying with performance is getting your equipment to no longer be an obstacle to you. Mm. And that's performance. Uh, skill wise, you cannot buy skill right. at all. So you can Never. buy the stuff that can remove any weaknesses. Uh, kind of like you were telling me about the the, the platform, the 2011 platform. Uh, but you just can't buy the ability yeah, to shoot that exactly. shit. Exactly. Well. Yeah. It's it's not gonna make you shoot gooder. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. That's that's all you. That's you, yeah. So cool. Uh and then what do you what do you what's the main scope of practical performance? So the main thing with practical performance, right, is I am trying to get guys to understand that there is so much more to shooting than just grip the gun and press the trigger. Right mm -hmm. or grip the gun and pull the trigger. Yeah, that mm -hmm. you're right. In a nutshell, uh, that's like the first class I ever took. Hold the gun, align the bumpy things, press the trigger. But there's so much more to shooting than that, right? Absolutely. That's that's like accuracy shooting. Cool. Once you know, like, yeah, I can hit what I'm aiming at. Cool. Now let's learn about all the other things that go into shooting and really, truly running the guns at a high level of skill and a high level of performance. Mm. You know, how do you take a dude that, you know, typically people think that a, a two second reload is good. And I'm not saying it's not good, but wouldn't it be awesome if you could do a one second reload? Yeah. I mean, and we can argue the, you know, whether or not a, a reload is important in defensive situations, but we know in competitive, you know, yeah. shooting it, it's, for me, a single stack guy, <laughs> it's my it. whole game, man. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like I have to do it. But yeah. things like you know, l learning how to get the guns to track to the same spot every time, and how mm. you manipulate that, and yeah. learning how to truly manage instead of trying to control recoil. I know you and I have had that yeah. conversation many times. Yeah. Um, you know, how do I do those things? And that's what I'm I'm really about with practical performance. Is listen, there's. There, there's tons going on here. You know, it, things, people just don't become good shooters by just shooting a million rounds a right. year. Yeah, I was going to say that. Picking up a gun and shooting a lot doesn't make you a good no. shooter. No. I mean, I know guys that, and I've done it. I can remember when ammo was cheap, going to the, <laughs> yeah. buying a thousand rounds of 45. On right? your way to the range. On my yeah. way to the like range. Yeah. Right. And it was cheap. Yeah. Going there, 
dumping that thousand rounds in a matter of hours and being like, yeah, I really, I really accomplished like, mm -hmm. you know, 10,000 more sessions like this and I'm going to be a great shooter. <laughs> and the reality was I got no better, mm -hmm. no better at shooting whatsoever. So, so yeah, that's, that's really what it's that's about. That's what it's about. I like mm -hmm. that, man. And so you're still doing that and you're still competing, right? Yep. Yep. Except for this whole slowdown oh, thing. You yeah. know what really bums me out? Yeah. I was having an awesome year this year. <laughs> uh, right? So uh, year kicked off. My first major match of the year was Western States Single Stack Championship. Nice. And last year, uh, we had a huge snowstorm the night before I had to leave. Mm. And it, I got snowed in. And then I tried to break out. And I busted up my car. And mm. I was like, well, no Western <laughs> States for me. So this year, I was all about, like, I am going there to to do work yeah and i did i i got a uh, i got a uh, class win i was a class at the time so i won a class and i took fifth overall in the match and i was like this is amazing yeah. i love this right and then a couple a couple weeks later i made master right mm -hmm. and i'm like this is great <laughs> and i've got like five more major matches lined up for the year and then the COVIDs hit. Ugh. And I was like, no, please no. Damn it. This is my year, man. <laughs> Come on. I was on a roll. I know. I oh, was, man. And really, but I mean, the, the thing is, it was practice, right? I was practicing more uh, with more focus and, and structured properly. Because that's always been a big thing, right? Mm -hmm. One of my biggest spearheads is this, how to, how to practice properly. Yeah. Right, because I truly believe you don't have to be on the range for eleven hours a day mm -hmm. to to make like one minuscule change. Yeah, right. You just need to be there with the intent of that, right? Yeah, and you yeah. need to and you need to do it properly, right? right? So, yeah. uh, you know, the whole adage of ten thousand hours to master a skill. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally, totally get it. But if you go more into it, right, it's ten thousand hours of proper practice and proper mm -hmm. repetition and things like that yeah. um, and there's more than one skill to shooting a gun i think people oh, yeah. lump the whole oh uh shooting skill is just all lumped into one but like gripping it is a skill pulling the trigger or pressing because people get funky about that <laughs> statement who, who cares man you're making the trigger move to the rear right, right. <laughs> uh, uh, how you align your sights how you how fast you put that stuff up all those things are all an individual skill and that's kind of interesting how you're phrasing it all like properly doing each one of those in development is yep. is kind of how you get better right absolutely yeah. absolutely i mean honestly free milk for anyone that wants it like it is all about skills in isolation like mm -hmm. practicing skills in isolation and then having the ability to put them all together and make them one thing. Yeah, and even working backwards, right? Mm -hmm. Like from the end to backwards yep. towards the beginning of it all, you'll kind of get a different perspective and you'll see things a little differently, but you still can achieve uh, good strides going backwards. Uh, and people sometimes don't think of it that way, right? They want to yeah. start from the beginning. And I mean, it's like certain books, and I really love those books where you can pick up the book and read anywhere and it kind of still fills in the blanks. Like that's kind of what shooting and performance shooting is, right? Yep, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, man, we covered a lot of stuff. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, where can people find you? Uh, so probably the the best place to find me is uh, on on Instagram. Cool. Uh, not that I am at all an Instagram celeb, but Whatever, dude. Uh, my, awesome. my stuff is on there, and I post a lot of stuff. It's practical underscore performance underscore org. 
mm-hmm. longest uh, handle ever. Yeah, it is pretty long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or or you can check out my website, practicalperformance.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that that's probably the place you're going to get the most stuff. Uh, as far as like me. information for you? Yeah. Uh, how about gunsmithing stuff? Is it yep. on those same as well? They can reach yep. out to you there and kind of dig in? Yeah. So that's one thing, uh, you know, I really wanted to do is keep those two things together. Mm. Yeah, smart. Right? So uh, you can find both those both those things on either the website or or that, or you can go on Facebook. I mean, it's the same stuff everywhere, practicalperformance.org, yeah. everywhere. So for all of your shooting needs, gunsmithing needs uh, in northern Arizona, now you know where to find AJ. Uh, dude, Thanks so much for being on. It was a it was a fun conversation. For Absolutely, sure. dude. Thanks for having me. Hell yeah! I'm glad we could do this. <laughs> awesome. All right, folks. Till next time. Have a good one. Yeah.